0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. I want to tell you that um, this morning I would like to speak on ripping up your list, rip up the list. When I was 19, I had my first Valentine's Day as a couple, Daz was my first boyfriend and uh, apart from Charlie Brown in year six and obviously the litany of suitors in preschool, but Daz was my um, first boyfriend, so it was my first time that I was going to get a Valentine's Day present. Now, I'm, I was raised on romantic comedies, you know, Disney really hit its straps when um, I was growing up and so I was really looking forward to what might happen on Valentine's Day, what I might receive. Daz had been working away and so I was to meet him at the lookout for good talks that's what people go to lookouts for, and um, and he was going to come and uh, and and bring me a present. Now I don't know um, if you know presents very well, but. There's these massive big clocks called grandfather clocks and they're incredible. They have big pendulums that swing and and they're antiques and the mechanics in them are incredible. And then you've got what are called grandmother clocks, which are also really beautiful and you'll often find them at your grandma's on a mantelpiece, but they're ornate and really special and they chime and they're lovely. But what I didn't realise is that they also make... Um, for people who get into town late, haven't considered Valentine's Day and the only thing left open is the chemist, some gold-coloured metal teeny tiny grandmother clocks. And, and so um, I waited for Daz to pull up and he got out of the car and we hugged and he gave me a teeny tiny gold-coloured metal grandmother clock. And I was like, oh, thank you, Daz. That's amazing. And uh, I don't know where it is right now. Um, it was a very prized possession for about as long as it was worth. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, Daz is up the ante since then. Daryl, no Oz. Uh, he has, this year, we went to the Pig and Tinder. We asked another couple from church to pay our bill. They wouldn't, so he paid. Um, we went to the movies. We watched The Titanic. Please give Darren Francis Bonilla a hand. It did good. But. Maybe you're like me and you have expectations around a day, maybe like Mother's Day, you think that you're going to get breakfast in bed and you're going to get the pasta necklace and you've got this picture in your head around what Mother's Day should look like. Maybe you're like a father and and you've got a picture of what Father's Day should look like and it looks like pretending that you aren't a father and that the kids I just don't want to see you unless you're fetching me something that's my ideal father's day and uh, maybe that's for you we have these expectations around days around people does anyone know what I'm talking about uh, does anyone have expectations on every sphere of life and you kind of carry that in and project that into every sphere of life yes I can see some nods thank you for being honest some people have a lot of lists, but I want to talk to you today about ripping up the lists. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. So Lord, I just pray that this morning you would enlighten your word to us. Lord that you'd help us appropriate it. Please help us to see what it means and Lord the power that it can work in our lives in Jesus name. Amen. I and mean, so above all here, Peter's talking and he's just listed a whole lot of things in the book of First Peter. He's told the people, the Jews who have been persecuted in Jerusalem and spread far and wide. He said, hey, pray, keep praying, keep rejoicing, keep exhibiting self-control, um, keep showing yourself holy, keep from deceit, keep from hypocrisy, keep from jealousy, keep from unkind speech, show God's goodness, respect those in authority, love the family of believers. If you're a slave, be a good one because it's not gonna change for a little while. If your wife, be respectful and not vain. If your husband, treat your wife as an equal and give a gentle and respectful answer to anyone who asks you for the hope you have. That's what he's done all the way to this passage right here. And then he says, above all, love, above all. Now he's not saying if you can like get one thing right, get this thing right he's saying, he's echoing the Apostle Paul's words when Paul said that you can do everything right, but if you don't have love, it's just noise. And so he's saying above all, let love be the life force, let love be the impetus, let love be the empowerment that allows you to do everything else. All these things are great, but if you're doing them out of a sense of works or self-righteousness, and you don't have love being the motivating force, then you're only getting half the picture. And this love that it's talking about is the word agape. Love, and it's the word that he mentions in chapter one where he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, As you look around this room today and you hear that instruction, love one another deeply, and you would say us loving each other deeply. Bron, if we're on the lamb ad, that's just un-Australian. We'd get zapped out right now. Like, but that's un-Australian. And, and, and you know, I get it that this might not come naturally to us. And you might be thinking, Bron, like I see you hug people. You, of course you're going to preach on something like this. But I've got to tell you that in the prayer meetings this week, which the prayer meetings were amazing across the 21 days, it, I didn't make it to any of the 5.30, but the 6.30 ones, I made it to all but one. But there was one person, Wayne Muller, who made it to every single prayer meeting <laughs> in the 21 days. I was here at six, praying beforehand and then here for the prayer meeting as well. It was awesome. Um, but I was praying in there and we were praying for the desire to act like family and feel like home. And I had my eyes closed and I kind of didn't really think about a room full of people that were there and prayed, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, even for me, that I would have this as my desire because I feel like I'm so busy. And when I stop, I just want to stop. And, and I don't want, you know, necessarily to engage in anything else. And Lord, I know that that's me trying to do it in my own strength, because if I was doing it in your strength, that it'd be fine. So I pray, Lord, for the desire. And then I realised that there are a room full of people and the pastor's probably not supposed to be praying for like that. So I went, I bet is what a bunch of people are feeling right now but thank you for awakening it in me already. (laughs) You know, when we're honest, we know that this doesn't come naturally to us. And we might say it's un-Australian. And yes, I'm with you. It probably is. But we aren't called to be Australian. We're called to be of the kingdom. And we're called to love each other deeply. What does this word mean? It means passionately. Love each other passionately. Now our world has got it so messed up that we can't differentiate loving passionately from sexual love. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about loving each other fervently, deeply from the heart. And it's agape, it's a divine love that we can't accomplish on our own. It's like my prayer for acts like family feels like home. We can't do it on our own. We need His help to do it. And the plural of this word is love feasts. It's in the New Testament when they used to all get around in a room and the wealthy would provide for the poor and all different classes would be sitting together and all different nationalities would be sitting together around a table eating And it was completely countercultural. This is the kind of love that he's talking about. And then he says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, Peter, being a Jew, writing to a bunch of Jews, was quoting a proverb that they would have all been familiar with in their wisdom literature. And all the people would have known what he was talking about. And their minds would have immediately gone to Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, where it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And being familiar with this proverb, they would have pinged off to a bunch of different proverbs that kind of suggest the same thing. In Proverbs 15, 18, it says, a hot tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. In 16, 27 and 28, it says, a scoundrel plots evil. Turn to the person next to you and say, you scoundrel! (laughs) It's just a fun word. And on their lips, it is like a scorching fire. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. I know that that is no one's desire in this room. No one wants to do that. And and yet it's what we unintentionally do sometimes. 28, 25, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. And 17, nine, whoever would foster love covers over an offence. But whoever repeats the matter separates friends. So we see here that there is a fostering of love that covers over a multitude. The Greek word is plethos, and it's where we get the word plethora from a plethora of sins. Sins being transgressions, iniquities, exactly what you would think they are. So, number one, this is vitally important, it's above all else. Number two, this needs God's help because our culture doesn't suggest it. And number three, this has massive ramifications if we get it right. So let's get really practical and talk about how we will do this by ripping up lists. And the first list to rip up is the list of expectations. The list of expectations. Just like Mother's Day, Father's Day and our expectations on people. In fact, it was the wedding message for Matt and Steph. Matt and Steph... What I want you to do is lower your expectations of each other. You may kiss the bride because you're inspired. I didn't mean like right now, but by all means, everybody, turn this way. (laughs) As if we didn't get enough of that in church before you were married. But, you know, what I was saying was, lower your expectations of each other, but raise your expectations of what God will do in you together. Your expectations aren't to be of each other, but to be of God. And John Bevere wrote a book in 1994 called The Bait of Satan, Keeping Free from the Trap of Offence. And he says that the gap between expectation and reality is the area that is a trap for offence. And it's true. It's so true in my life. It's true in your life. It's true in the church because we go to work and we have very few expectations of people at work. We're like, well, you know, they don't follow Jesus. Of course, they're going to be doing what they're doing. But when we come to church and we are with a bunch of people who profess to be following Jesus and they get it wrong because they're humans. We're like, I had bigger expectations of you. I had greater expectations of you. Bron, you're the pastor. I had greater expectations of you. So the difference between the reality of who you are and the expectation is very wide and there's a long and big gap for you to fall into. As it relates to your family, you know, you have expectations of your family that they're gonna have your backs, that they're gonna be loyal. So the expectation is further and so the gap for offense is wider. Just rip up the list of expectations. There are some things to keep on your list. There are definitely some things to keep on your list. When I was praying for a husband from the age of 14, watching Disney movies and romantic comedies, I prayed for a tradie, I prayed for someone who was really tall, preferably dark. And, and um, I was just praying my list, guys. <laughs> you, can, you can ask God anything. He just says no a lot. Um, I prayed for a musician, for someone that I could sing with. And, uh, and what I got was none of those things. But the most important thing that was on my list was someone who loved Jesus more than I did. That was the most important thing on my list. Teenagers have a list. Create a list, but make sure that the most important thing is that it's someone who loves Jesus more than you. Make sure that it's someone that, you know, it doesn't matter all the things that you think you want. If they love Jesus as much or as more than you do, then God can work in whatever and he'll make them who they're meant to be and and who you're meant to be as well. Sorry for the awkwardness. <laughs> don't get your list. Like there's things to keep on your list, but it's not Mother's Day from Instagram and it's not a kid's birthday cake from Pinterest and it's not a business that is self-started by a guy on YouTube. It's it's none of that. It's it's expectations that are found in the Word of God because it is sure and it is certain and we'll see it come to pass. Rip up the list of expectations. There's a saying that says that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And there are some people that just see a lot more beauty everywhere. I believe it's because they don't have a bunch of expectations that they're throwing out in a bunch of spheres but instead they're walking around with eyes of wonder waiting to see what God is doing in the earth. So exchange your list of expectations and have eyes of wonder. The second list to rip up is, lip up, lip up the wrist, rip up the list of the record of wrongs. Rip up the list of the record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You know what this does in your life? It disables the ability in your life to say you never because you haven't got a list, a record of wrongs to refer to to be able to make that statement. So when you're engaged in discussion and you say you never, you've got to know right there that you're keeping a record of wrongs. Rip up the list. And when you say you always... You're keeping a record of wrongs, rip up the list, don't bother with it. And it disables us from being able to say you never or you always. I get annoyed sometimes when I'm trying to make a case for behaviour and a pattern, establish a pattern where I'm like, well, let me refer to these things and I can't remember them. And I'm like, oh man, I can't even remember. People say, give an example, Ah, no, I can't remember. And yet that's actually the point. The point, I hope God keeps giving me a good forgettery, I've heard it said. I would love, not a great memory, a good forgettery, where I'm just forgetting people's wrongs and and not counting them against them. That would be amazing if God could do that in me. A man called Javon said this, "'Do not tell it unless the necessity be urgent "'or the utility great. "'Never tell of a man what you have not first told "'to the man. "'Never think you can make yourself great "'by making another less.'" Let's ensure that that's the way that we live our lives. You see, when we say something like love covers... That can have negative connotations in our world because we tend to think of it as being a cover up or covering over something of dishonesty, of bullying or intimidation. And we wanna make sure that everyone in our church knows that we are never suggesting that anyone stays in a situation where they or their family are unsafe. That is not what God is talking about here. Definitely not. He's not talking about turning a blind eye to dishonesty. He's not talking about that. We bring truth to lies and we stand up on behalf of the vulnerable. That's what we're called to do. But we're called to cover over sins that are committed toward us that we're able to, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment. But tear up the record of wrongs. Lose the ability to say you never or you always. Number three, rip up the list, the list that is the charge sheet. The charge sheet. What a charge sheet is, it is someone that has said, we believe we have evidence to count against you and declare you guilty. But we're not going to declare you guilty because we're not the judge. We're going to allow a judge to do that at a later date. But in the meantime, because we have this charge sheet, we're going to treat you as guilty, even though we're not saying that you are guilty. That's the judge's job. And sometimes as humans, we can do this as well. We can say, oh, yeah, no, I've forgiven them. Oh, no, I don't judge them because God's the judge. But instead we're judging them. We're treating them as though they're guilty already we're saying you did this to me you did that to me and I'm counting you as guilty already and and I would say today rip up the list rip up the charge sheet if we're pursuing being like Jesus Jesus hung on a cross and he looked out at his accusers and he looked out at his condemners and he looked down at his executioners and he said forgive them father for they don't know what they're doing now if I'm at the foot of the cross I'm looking up like, if you could just hang on for a second, Jesus, just hang on for a bit more. I just want to explain to you that all these guys knew exactly what they were doing. They've been plotting this for ages. They 100% know what they're doing. And, uh, and so I just think you need to reassess the situation here and maybe not forgive them because of what they actually do know that they've done. And they, you shouldn't pray. Don't let them not know. At some point that made sense in my head, but I think you get the picture. Okay, so he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, but they did. They did know what they did. So... Jesus, I believe, would say, okay, Brian, I'll take a moment before I declare the finished work of the cross and answer your question. Um, Bron. actually, they don't know what they're doing. There's an enemy, but they're not here right now. There's a greater scheme at work. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And what I'm doing in forgiving them right now is way more powerful than me holding their sins against them in this moment. This ensures that when I carry out the physical representation of what I did at before the dawn of time, when I paid for all the sins for all people, for all of history and all of the future, what I did right then and what I'm about to do, if I don't carry a fence, that means I get to remain the spotless lamb. That means I, be, I remain... The ability to forgive and to uh, to atone for the sins of the world—that's what happens in this moment. But if I carry offense with me, if I'm like Father, pour down your wrath on these people, and I carry offense, then everything that I've done is for nothing. And so He's able to pray, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, rightly so, you might think, well, He's a Son of God; of course, He can do something like that. But in the New Testament, there was a man called Stephen who was waiting on tables and eventually he upset the powers that be and were and and they came against him and they decided to kill him. And as they are throwing rocks at him to kill him, he says, don't hold their sins against them, Lord. So that's a guy like us who waits on tables, who is able to say the same thing. And even if we say, well, yeah, but it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit and power and I don't feel like I'm really full of that much power. Let's go all the way back into the Old Testament to someone who doesn't even have the Holy Spirit, a man called Joseph, and he is thrown into slavery by his brothers. Now, has that ever happened to anyone here, being thrown into slavery by his siblings? Okay, so let's establish that as a standard of bad behaviour that we haven't encountered yet. And Joseph is there thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, heads to Potiphar's house. Potiphar, yes. Potiphar's house, falsely accused, thrown into prison, forgotten by um, two guys that were there that said they would remember him when they got out. Years and years of injustice happened to Joseph. Now, if I'm Joseph, because I know myself, at every point of those injustices, I'm like, started with my brother's back here, started all the way back here with my brothers. And, and if they had never done that, then this would never have happened. But Joseph kept short accounts. Joseph ripped up the list so that when he was encountered his brothers, he stood face to face, face with them and said, no, 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 I forgive you. You meant it for evil, but God has used it all for good and he was able to completely forgive them. And we are encouraged to do the same. We're encouraged to rip up the list that is a charge sheet against others. We can stop treating them as guilty. We are encouraged to rip up the list that is a charge sheet against ourselves. Sometimes we treat ourselves as guilty, even though God has declared us innocent through Jesus Christ. We're encouraged to rip up the charge list towards God where we've actually judged God and said, God, I feel like you said you did this and you haven't come through for me. And we actually hold an account with God Are encouraged to rip it up and to trust Him and to love Him and to say, I know that you're going to work it for good. When we do this, love covers a multitude of sins. We get to hide other people's sins from people around us. We can't hide them from God. Only repentance can do that. But as we repent, our sins are hidden from God. But we get to hide them from people. When Neil hurts me by saying mean things to me, <laughs> I can not tell anyone. I, I would usually tell Daz, Neil hurt me, hurt my feelings. And Daz would say, come on, Brian, you know Neil. You know that Neil would never intentionally do that. You know what he goes through, you know what he suffers. He probably had a bad day. I'd be like, yeah, you're 100% right, Daz. But what I'd love it is if I didn't even get to that stage... If I if I covered Neil's hurt towards me, even to Daz, it didn't even make it that far. And I was able to have that internal dialogue with myself. I think that's the goal and that's the aim. Repentance hides it from the Lord, but we get to hide our sins or people's sins from man. Psalm 32 verse one says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's us, church. If we've decided to follow Jesus, we are blessed because our transgressions are forgiven, our sins are covered, they are washed away, we are whiter than snow. And Psalm 85 verse two says, you, talking about God, forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Again, that is us. And that is a blessed reality for those of us who have decided to follow Jesus. But we actually get to enact this towards our brothers and sisters. We get to go, ah, I'm not gonna repeat that. I'm not gonna repeat that, it's not worth repeating. That's gonna colour the way Mitch sees Cass. I don't wanna repeat it. And so we just keep it to ourselves. And so I encourage you today to rip up your list. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached so what's your next step to find out head over to thechapelcollective.com.au and thanks again for listening